I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is anything, any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. The British comedian Eddie Izzard has a brilliant little sketch about the endless accommodation that is part of the Church of England and by extension, Anglicanism and Episcopalians in general. It's called Cake or Death. And if you're goofing around on YouTube and looking for something new, I commend it to you. Izzard's point in his little sketch is that we often do not want to make hard choices, even challenging ones as Christians, and that makes it hard for us to make any choice or decision in the face of immense evil or even the everyday challenges in the world around us. If your choice when it comes to choosing what is good and true is, as Izzard proposes, to have tea and cake with the vicar or die, which are you going to choose? Izzard manages to make his point with biting clarity and laughter, and it's the gift of great comedy that it can point out our foibles and our weaknesses and make us laugh at ourselves. And I realize that explaining the joke makes it ponderous and not funny. But the point of the joke is, as St. Paul would have recognized when he was writing to the Philippians, deadly serious, and the pun is intended. Cake or death, which are you going to choose? Now I could say, here endeth the lesson, and some of you would no doubt be delighted by the brevity of the sermon this morning. But the connection between St. Paul's letter to the Philippians and Eddie Izzard is not quite so tenuous as it might seem. And in this time when the world around us seems to be consumed by anger and factions and endless quests, quests for domination and power by one side over the other, I think it's something that we in the church must hear and talk about. In the world of Jesus and St. Paul, there was a conviction that we, in our modern supposedly scientific worldview, find very hard to accept. They were convinced that the things that you watched, that you studied, and that you contemplated would shape your mind and therefore shape your soul. They believed that you could not love what you did not know, but that you would come to love what you did know. And it was what you loved that would, would finally determine what sort of person you would become. Therefore, what you put into your intellect would be the things that you came to love. And it was those loves that would shape your soul and the very nature of your life and being. Now, the way that ancient writers expressed it and thought about it might sound a little foreign to our ears, but once you understand it, the psychology behind what they were teaching was profound. But the hard part for that, or hard part in that for us modern people, lies in three things. One, 
We like to think that we have control of our own minds and reactions to the things that we put into our mind are all entirely up to us. In other words, we can watch or think about or do whatever we like and it has no fundamental effect on our intellectual development, much less on something called a soul. Our second problem is that even among Christians, the idea of having a soul feels pretty strange and in some philosophical and scientific circles, it's rejected out of hand. So we have no idea what a soul might be or how one might care for it or what it might encompass. encompass rather. The best that most of us have is an idea that soul equals consciousness. And so far as we know, short of drugs or death, nothing interferes with being conscious. So nothing we do will affect it. The third problem we have is that we just flat out don't like to be told what to do. The story of Adam and Eve is basically a story that says human beings have always been this way. Tell us not to do something and it suddenly becomes the very thing that we want most in the world to do. Wait, right? If someone tells you not to punch the red button, won't it quickly become the thing that you want to do most in the world just to see what will happen? So when some ancient guy like St. Paul says, you should not turn your thoughts and energies towards some things, but rather turn them toward others, because the things in that first group will distort your soul. As a modern person, you're likely to respond, well, watch me. I can do what I want, I can think how I want, I can focus on what I want, and it will have no effect on my soul, if in fact I even have one. Your therapist and your spiritual director are going to spend a lot of time trying to help you untangle the knots that you will tie yourself in with this sort of thinking and behavior. Now the Philippians, to whom St. Paul were, was writing, were not originally Jewish. They were Gentiles, and they had no tradition of Jewish contemplation, no tradition that taught them that contemplating and living out of the Torah would help them know the mind of God. No tradition of belief in the resurrection of the dead on the day that the Lord came to restore the world. And in preaching to them and trying to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, St. Paul was forced or faced with trying to teach them how to think and live as Messiah people when the very concept of Messiah was new. This was going to entail living in a way that was different from the way that they had lived all their lives up until the day they heard the gospel. And just before the passage that we read this morning, St. Paul says to the Philippians, for as I have often told you and now tell you even in tears, many conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And their minds are occupied with earthly things. In other words, some members of the Philippian church were not yet thinking like Messiah people. They were busy being focused on feasting and fine food. 
since feasts were usually held in the context of sacrifices in the temples of the pagan gods, it meant that, meant that they were unwilling to give up the wonderful meals that resulted from those fact sacrifices and everything that went with them. But having your God in your stomach is also a way of saying that they were deeply invested in the other sensual pleasures of life. Watching the chariot races and the gladiator battles in the circus, it was great fun watching other people die. And going to the theater and watching plays that were quite graphic about sex and the relations between the sexes, it was great fun watching those too. And it meant having mosaics done for the dining room and the bathrooms that you were remodeling, which depicted all those same scenes from the plays and provided enjoyment and encouragement for your dinner guests and those who stayed afterward for the party. It meant that if you were a free male, you had a right to enjoy whomever you wished to enjoy, so long as they were of a lower status, women, children, and slaves. That one was particularly hard to give up. It meant reading Ovid and Catullus, the shame in which they found their great glory, and Paul's irony drips from the page, was their continued, continued participation in the sexual worship rituals of the gods. All of that was great fun. And there were doubtless who want, those who wanted to claim the freedom they had in Christ that, and say that it meant that they were free to do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, and with whomever they wanted. It would not matter. But none of that conformed them to Christ or helped to give them the mind of Christ. And that, after all, is what St. Paul wants for his beloved Philippians more than anything else. And it is what St. Paul wants for us as the successors of the Philippians more than anything else. To conform to Christ and to do all that we can with the aid of grace that the mind of Christ might live within us. We too are called to live and think as Messiah people, as hard as we might find that to be. And so St. Paul gives them instruction about how it might shape, they might shape their souls to think on whatever is true. The truth of the gospel, the truth of the fact that we are all image bearers of Christ and of God, the truth that we are loved beyond our even knowing and that others love us. To think what in what is honorable, to free our hearts from hatred, to free our hearts from the anger and the pleasure that our anger at others who disagree with us gives us. To think about whatever is just, that no one created in the image of God can be someone less than anyone else, that we all deserve to uphold the dignity and respect of other human beings as well as ourselves. To think about whatever is pure, the love and truth of Christ, the gift that he gave us in freeing us from our sins and in giving us the gift of resurrection. To think about whatever is pleasing to God, not us. Our love and devotion to one another 
and our love of God with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. To think about what is commendable. To think about the lives and examples of the saints who lived the way that we should want to live. To learn what they have to tell us about the challenges of the Christian life. To think about excellence, the perfect purity and existence of the things that we know as love and justice and grace and holiness in God. All of the things that are found in God only in their completion. And to think about what is worthy of praise. Most of all, to lodge our loyalties and our hearts and our minds in the Messiah and in being Messiah people and putting everything else after that. In this time when we are so ready to fight, in this time when we are so ready to denigrate those who do not believe and not believe as we believe, in this time when it is so much easier and more tempting to live and to think as though our lives and our politics are the only thing that there are. I invite you to hear St. Paul, to think about what is true and just and pure and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise and let those cha things change and shape your soul. You know, Eddie Izzard asked people, do you want cake or death? He's very funny when he does it. But St. Paul was asking the Philippians the same question. Do you want this, the sum of all that is good and holy and wonderful in the world? Or do you want the way that leads to death, the way that leads you away from Christ and away from the way that Christ will shape your mind and heart and soul? You will find the one sweet and fulfilling the other simply ends in darkness.